Welcome to The Breakdown with Brock Corbin Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorp. And I'm Becky Chair. In this episode, we'll break down President Joe Biden's announcement that he is seeking re-election. We'll break down Governor Tim Walz's State of the State address. We'll break down a new poll from the Wall Street Journal, which shows most Republican primary voters say fighting, quote, woke ideology in schools and businesses is more important to them than protecting Medicare and Social Security from cuts. We're excited to be joined in this episode by Representative Ellie Engen from Lionel Lakes, serving his first term as a Republican member of the Minnesota House of Representatives from House District 36A, representing portions of Anoka and Ramsey County. Finally, we end this episode with our Tweets of the Week. Plus, we're introducing a new segment called Food Fights with Broadcom and Becky, where we debate our different takes on food. We're excited for you to be joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. We're very jazzed this episode to be joined by Representative Ellen Ingen from Lionel Lakes, Minnesota, serving his first term as a Republican member of the Minnesota House of Representatives from House District 36A, representing portions of Anoka and Ramsey County. Representative Engen was first elected in 2022. He's a graduate of Hamlin University, and he's already an assistant minority leader. Representative, it's great to have you with us. Hey, today. thanks for having me, you guys. Look forward to the discussion. Um, you're a first-term legislator, and what's also of note is you have been identified in a couple media articles as being one of two Generation Z members who were elected to the legislature this past cycle. Um, give us, define what that means to our listeners, what a Gen Z is <laughs> from your perspective and your take on the legislative side. Yeah. So Gen Z, I think is anything before, uh, or I'm sorry, after 97, but before 2000. So it's kind of a small window if I'm understanding that correctly. But every time that uh, somebody refers to me as a millennial, I, I pull up Brian Bax's tweet saying that I in fact <laughs> am a Gen Zer. Um, I wouldn't want to be mis miscategorized there, but um, this legislative session, all in all, it's been a whirlwind. And we're, we're obviously in a tough spot in the minority, but we have to come in here and still provide solutions, not just um, no's to everything. We can't seem like stodgy people who don't have ideas ourselves, but rather just uh, lambast and, and uh, kind of talk about the, the bad ideas coming from the other side. So it's been quite the session but we're, we're managing thus far. I love to hear that. And, you know, we talk a lot about Republican messaging and it's great to, to be for something, not just against something. And I, and I'm very pleased to hear that. Um, so now, as Michael mentioned, you are assistant minority leader. How'd that come to be? I mean, can you just give us a, a brief synopsis here of how at a young age you decided to run, you won your assistant minority leader, how that kind of all came to be? Yeah. So it was actually the first week of, of caucus um, here at the Capitol and uh, getting to know everybody and trying to kind of give a vision of what you think we need to do um, to get into the majority. And that was kind of the question that was presented to us. And I said kind of exactly what you just said. We need to present a vision of something that a voter wants to vote for, not just uh, to vote against something. Um, we need to start creating the narrative rather than just responding to it. You know, we have ideas too. And for too long, we've given uh, the Democrats, I think, a monopoly on the term progress. We can be progressive conservatives. We can think uh, in, a, in a forward thinking manner and present solutions to issues that all of us are facing. Um, that's kind of the, the route that I took and it seemed to resonate with my colleagues and I'm fortunate enough to work uh, on their behalf as the freshman leader to let them know what's going on at exec board or what the calendars for the day are going to be after rules committee. Um, small things go a long way and I've been uh, privileged and, and humbled to be able to do that. Well, congratulations. You know, Michael and I spoke last week about the need of having young voters, young leaders um, in our party, you know, really have a voice. So I think that's really great that you're you're doing that. We need more folks like you and very pleased of, you know, seeing what you're putting out on social media and Instagram. I watched a couple of your Instagram videos. Omnibus Bill was one of my favorite yeah. ones. So maybe we'll come back to that if we have enough time. But um, as you talked about having, having a vision and mission and message on all of these things, um, one of the things you sit on the public safety commission uh, committee 
Um, and one thing that I personally believe as a mom in the suburbs is that public safety is is a huge messaging point, especially going forward towards the 2024 election cycle for Republicans in, in the suburbs, which you both represent and serve on the committee. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit maybe about what you would say to your constituents as why it's important to have Republicans in office, especially when it comes to public safety and, and maybe a little bit about what um, you guys have been working on on the public safety committee um, from from the Republican standpoint. Yeah. So uh, ultimately, solutions come in a lot of different forms. And I think for a long time, the Republican Party has uh, kind of um, pounded their fist on the table and screamed law and order. And I don't think that that resonates with everybody. I think if you say back the blue to a crowd of 100, you might get 50, 55 people that agree with you. Um, but People also want to know that you have solutions that go beyond just the platitudes and talking points. So what we've tried to do is think about this in a comprehensive, holistic manner. There are a lot of juveniles who um, are without a father, without parents who are engaged in their day-to-day lives. Um, And those are ultimately the ones that are committing a lot of these uh, horrendous crimes that we're seeing. So how can we fix that? How can we get at, at a deeper level? Where is this public safety concern arising from? Um, that's what I've tried to do in a lot of the bills that I've presented um, or things that I've, I've spoken on, kind of get around that cultural issue that, that's leaking into a public safety crisis that we're currently in. Um, it's, it's been interesting, though, to watch as um, the modern-day Democrat Party really does chastise police, um, first responders in general. They seem to be kind of the, the focus around a lot of these bills, um, but not in a positive manner. They're always the ones to be uh, labeled as X, Y, or Z, or why they're doing their their job in a poor manner, rather than just trying to go and make sure that that our streets are safe. Um, it, it's been kind of sad to watch, and a lot of money has been pouring out the door to uh, unaccountable nonprofits, rather than the folks who are on the ground putting on that bulletproof vest and going to work every day, so that we can have some safer communities. So that's what I'd say to folks, and I'd always uh, invite them to reach out with questions. We're coming into the final weeks of the legislative session. Frame up for our listeners what you, what Minnesotans can expect in these final weeks. What are the issues left on the table, and where do you see um, the disagreement between Democrats and Republicans on these issues? And also, where is there opportunity for compromise and agreement? Well, I think that there's as much uh, opportunity for compromise and agreement as, as the left wants right now. Um, the, the ball's kind of in their court, and we do want to show that we can do that. Um, there's a whole host of bills that I've worked on with reps on the other side of the aisle, some of which I really, really like, and I think that they're great leaders. Mary Frances Clardy is a terrific human being. Um, Larry Kraft, super nice guy. You know, we, we have these awesome conversations in the retiring room or in the alcoves, but then none of that bipartisan work comes to fruition on the floor. So I would say um, Minnesotans can expect a lot of these very large bills to pass in the middle of the night and the ramifications to be felt for a long time, um, not even knowing where they where they arose from. The, the spending that's going on here is just unsustainable. It's Keynesian economics to the nth degree. But eventually we're going to run out of paper or ink um, that we're going to be printing all these dollars off on. So it, we, we need to make sure that we're not just doing policy that, that sounds good or feels good, but actually does good. Um, and there's a big difference. So I hope that uh, in the next, next couple of weeks, we can either educate our voters as to what it is that's coming up down the pipeline, or we can engage in some of those meaningful conversations to try to slow the crazy train a little bit. Um, speaking of crazy train, no, uh, not maybe the best transition, but you know, one I we did want to ask your your take here about, um, you know, President Biden announced his reelection or that he's running for reelection today. Um, he did it via video. We're gonna chat about that a little bit more, um, with Michael and I. But wanted to to get your take. What do you think about the president? What do you think about the upcoming presidential potential rematch or or what it's gonna look look like here? Um, in twenty twenty. I think if you're a Minnesotan or if you're an American that says that they don't want to see a presidential ticket that has either the name Trump or Biden, um, I'm with you. And a lot of others are as well. I mean, there was a Gallup poll, I believe, last year that came out that said 46 percent of all voters um, would seriously consider voting for a third party if that were the case again. They're right. 
we've presented a um, false binary here in that there are two um, either current or former heads of their uh, respective political parties that should be on that ballot again. But I think that there's a lot of fresh perspectives that are outside of those two names that we can start to seriously consider as well. And Ron DeSantis being somebody who I've I've found to um, really demonstrate that he has solutions to problems. He doesn't just uh, truth social about it. Um, but people are kind of fed up with the modern day political norm of just scream and bicker and don't really come up with a solution. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, there are other alternatives that that uh, come to the table and ultimately get a nomination. As somebody who, you know, comes up through endorsements and has to work with activists, do you find it difficult to have that viewpoint? I mean, something that I believe Michael and I share that viewpoint. Do you, But do you think that's hard, you know, working with some of the activists or communicating with some folks in your district um, on the Republican side um, of somebody that would would hope for somebody other than President Trump to represent our side of the part of our side of the ticket? Well, I, I might be in a, a little bit of a unique situation. Uh, Governor Walls won my district, um, but I also won it. So there are ticket splitters in my area and there are people that ultimately um, don't trust politicians as much as gas station sushi and they don't have a reason to. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm kind of able to transcend the, the um, party line politics that comes in a lot of different BPOUs, a lot of different areas across the state. But I think that delegates actually respect it if you say it out loud versus, um, you know, have it in the back of your head, but just kind of pair it along or not along to whatever it is that they think. If I'm upfront and, and transparent about that, then we can get into a, a, a larger discussion about why it is that I believe that. Um, some people might agree. Some people might disagree. But at the end of the day, um, whoever's name is atop the, the ballot, I want them to know that I'm, I'm my own person. I'm not running on a ticket that is a Donald Trump ticket. Uh, I'm not running on a Ron DeSantis ticket. It doesn't matter who it is up top. Um, I'm me, and I want to represent their values. I want to bring my solutions to the Minnesota legislature and try to uh, make politics local again, because it seems like it hasn't been for a long time. One of the important issues that Becky and I have talked about on previous shows is younger voters. Um, I'm almost 50. Um, I'll, uh, I'll self-disclose that and I'm not going <laughs> to pry my co-host for any additional information, uh, but I'm almost 50. And so one of the things we talked about in a previous episode was the importance of younger voters this cycle. And what I think is very unique about you is that you're of your age and you're already an elected official. And so you have, I think, a very informed perspective, much more than I think the average voter does because you currently hold office. Describe if you can and give your perspective on what Republicans, or first of all, the importance of the youth vote in the upcoming cycle, people that are voting for the first time in their presidential election, um, and also potentially what political parties need to do to bring those, those young voters into the party. What in particularly Republicans need to do to bring those young voters Yeah, in. well, ultimately, 28% of the electorate in 2024 is going to be made up of Gen Z and millennials. Um, and it's a it's an age group. It's a demographic that we haven't been speaking to. Um, we can't just regurgitate the same Reagan era talking points and expect that to resonate with a lot of folks who uh, don't live in that time. They don't live in that era. They don't see that as reality. We have to meet them where they're at, whether it's on Instagram or um, long form conversations like this one. I think people are kind of getting sick and tired of the, the modern day platitudes of politics that come from Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow. And so they want to know what what it is that we believe and why we believe it. But we have to give them that that reason. We have to give them that story about, hey, you know, you guys don't like uh, helicopter parents or constantly having curfews and um, figures of authority telling you what you can and can't do with your lives. But why are we all voting for a political party that's doing exactly that? They're playing a larger role in our lives. I think that's a story that would resonate with a lot of folks in the Gen Z or millennial age group. Um, but if we don't say that, then how are we giving them an alternative to um, the easy, simplistic talking points of free everything, free college, free healthcare, free whatever it might be? They're smarter than that, but we have to actually talk to them in the first place. So that's how I think we can start to uh, really make some inroads there. Um, 
but it's a, it's a blast getting to talk to the pages here at uh, at the Capitol. They'll come into the office and they'll wonder, how in the heck did you get into that seat when uh, you're not much older than we are? And, you know, actually, there's some there's some power in naivety. There's some power in being a fresh voice and a, and a fresh perspective and trying to transcend some of the political norms that we've always been uh, just accustomed to. So um, I, I think that there's a lot of solutions that the next generation can bring, but we have to bring them into the fold. Completely agree. And I think it's great for for young voters to see young folks in office, to see that they can make a difference by whether that is voting or having a voice, running for office, whatever it may be. Um, so now I want to put you on the spot here. Are we going to see you coming back for, for a second term? And do you at some point have higher aspirations um, for, for other offices in the future? I, I will be back. I will be running again for uh, District 36A and um, that's my sole focus right now. Um, I think men make plans and God laughs at them. Um, if higher office is ever in the future, it's because my wife okays it and I feel it's the right time and I can actually make a difference. Um, but I, I, I love being able to pick up my cell phone or pick up the office phone and know that there's a neighbor in Lionel Lakes or Circle Pines or Centerville that have a genuine question and I'm able to help them. And even though we're in the minority here, uh, that, that phone call still matters. That's what being a representative is all about. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. So I'll definitely be back and uh, looking to uh, continue representing the folks at 36A. Um, what is something that's occurred um, since being in office that has surprised you uh, about service in elective office? It would seem to be uh, an overwhelming experience. You know, Becky and I both worked at, at the legislature uh, but but serving in office is a, is a powerful uh, opportunity. What give give an example to our listeners of something that since being in office, positive or negative, yeah, um, that has really surprised you about being an elected official at the Minnesota State Capitol. That's a great question. Um, I I try to reflect as much as I can on the day to day occurrences of this place, but you could sit there and your wheels would be turning for forever. <laughs> um, there's yep. so many good people here. And I feel like the, the biggest thing that I've learned is that sometimes they're driven away by the culture of how we approach our day-to-day -day interactions uh, from one side of the political aisle to the other. They almost feel like those solutions and those ideas that they have, that they want to bring to the table because they're representing folks who feel the same way, um, they don't feel like those solutions can actually come to fruition. They feel like everything is either um, for a, the parties. Uh, the party's gain or for uh, a particular ideological perspective that doesn't align with that idea. But th those backroom conversations or those conversations you have with somebody on the other side of the aisle in an elevator or in passing, that's where I think the real work gets done. And I wish that we could show uh, the public those interactions rather than just the the heat of the moment debate type uh, type arguments and and interactions we have with one another. So that's been the most refreshing piece of all this to me and um, something that I wouldn't have known about unless I was given this opportunity. Well, Representative, um, I know we're in the midst of the legislative session. I know it's a busy time. Uh, we thank you so much for the, your opportunity and time to be on here today. Where can people follow you on social media if they wanted to track what you're doing and and uh, stay in contact with yeah, you? Yeah, no. First off, thanks a ton for having me, you guys. This is a, this is a blast. These are the types of conversations I like to have. So appreciate the show, and I'm a frequent listener. Um, but people can follow at Elliot Engen MN on any of those social media sites that they have. That's E L L I O T T E N G E N. MN. Well, we hope um, we hope the experience wasn't too painful for you, and and we hope that uh, <laughs> after session or at a time comes up that we you'd be interested in coming back on. We always um, want to every time we end an interview with a guest, we hope that that the experience has been enjoyable enough that they would consider coming back and doing some more long form stuff when there's more time and opportunity. But we really appreciate you taking the time during this session. Oh, thank you guys again for having me. Anytime. Uh, more cups of coffee than hours of sleep nowadays. So you, you guys give me a holler and I'll definitely would love to join. That was fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I had watched some videos. I've seen some floor speeches of him, but 
man, is he a comms director's dream, right? He is articulate. He is thoughtful. He, I mean, his, I, I was, I was blown away. He is definitely, I hope he sticks around, um, sticks around as an elected leader and a candidate for, for a while here. I was really impressed um, because I think he, what he showed in that interview uh, was, first of all, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I mean, he's, he's mission focused. I thought his answers were uh, wiser beyond his years. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, his perspective, you know, and I think that uh, I was really impressed by listening to him speak and I was also energized. It also felt, I mean, I know we're both Republicans, um, uh, but it was nice to see, nice to hear and listen to a Republican who I think had their their head on straight, pivoted straight, not to say that others that we haven't on, but this is a young guy who just recently got elected to the legislature and he is already, I think, focused on the long game, focused on delivering um, and interested in that aspect of constituent service, but also the honor and privilege of serving in office. My goodness, it was impressive to listen to him. And I think the, the residents of of uh, 36A are in a great spot. I hope he's there for a long time. I hope uh, his wife allows him to stay or <laughs> run for higher office. I know that she has a place, but I was very impressed by his answers, um, the maturity of his answers. And I can see now why uh, he won his district, which I think very insightful for him to point out that Governor Walls won his district and he did too. And I, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. And I th- also was very optimistic to see or hear him discuss um, his desire for somebody other than Trump. I don't think that is something we hear a lot from Republican election certificate holders. I think it is a tough spot to be in. Assuming that Trump is going to be the person that is the nominee, you don't want to be on the bad side of him, his campaign, anybody that might come into the state and play, pay money on that side of things. Um, and so I think it is, it's refreshing to hear somebody that is authentic, who is being very straightforward when, when addressing that, um, something that's not always a, as an easy thing to say. Yes. And people my age, as I start to get older, engage in a little bit of ageism in a sense where they talk about all oh, those young kids. They don't know anything they're, they're talking about. I was impressed, impressed as all belief by his answers. And I have uh, knowing that he's at the legislature, a young guy like him uh, with that perspective, with that energy, with that enthusiasm, with that vision and mindset, I feel good knowing someone like that's there. And I'm sure we're, and there's Democrats out there too, on both sides of that. If you look, I was very impressed by his answers and his perspective, and uh, I hope he's there for a long time. Uh, and that vision and that 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 energy and enthusiasm he has uh, meets the right type of circumstances because that guy's going places. And I was really impressed. To talk Absolutely about. agree. We're we're big Representative Engen fans here, and uh, can't wait to have him on again. And he did not pay us to say that. It was first time we've ever. <laughs> first time I spoke with him earlier today to kind of facilitate the interview. First time we've ever spoken with him, and and boy, I'm impressed. Absolutely. All right, it's the day you've been waiting for, the day you've been hoping and praying for. Joe Biden announced he's running for re-election. Ooh, what a day. Are we so excited? Did you take the day off from work to celebrate or what what did you Nothing of your sort. I should be asking you. I mean, you're a Walls endorser. Are we gonna get a Biden endorsement? Uh, you got a, anything to prepare for us prepare us for on that? That joke. I, I it's it's not even in the script that I knew that was coming. <laughs> um so I wanted to I don't know if um I may be stealing this. This might be something, and I want you to correct me because I'm a big fan of, of, I'm not a fan of taking credit for other people's work, but I think you may have said this, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think that on a previous episode, you made a point of talking about a couple points, which was uh, number one being Joe Biden's age, correct? Yep. Um, and so I wanted to point out to you, obviously it wasn't my original idea. Uh, he was 78 when he was elected. He's currently 80 years old. If reelected, he would be eight, if reelected and serves his full term, he would be 86 years old when he leaves office. Um, pop quiz for you. Who was the second oldest president to leave office? Oh, I don't even know if I have a good guess. HW? Second, a uh, second, I'm sorry, the second oldest. No, you're cl- no, um, no, um, Ronald Reagan was 77 when he left office. So if Joe Biden were to serve a full term, 
a full second term, he would be 86, so nine years older than Ronald Reagan was when he left office. Uh, Trump was 74, Obama was 55, George W. Bush was 62, and Clinton was 54. I don't want to engage in additional ageism on the back end either, but I think, as you articulated in that previous show, the importance of age. And um, I uh, was, uh, I'm, you know, again, don't want to engage, I don't want an HR complaint filed against me. Uh, but he's 80 years old and he'll be 86. I was surprised when I did the math on the 86 number. Um, I was surprised by the 86 number. Um, and I think that that's significant. Your take on 86 or 80 or 78. You know, I, again, I, I agree, you know, age, age is just a number. We, as they say, however, when it comes down to your ability to do your job, something that we have seen Biden struggle with. We have seen slurred speech. We have seen stumbles. We have seen instances that make it appear that he, at times, is not fully capable and competent in his position as leader of our country. Um, That is now. It is especially troublesome to think of, I mean, I'm not a brain doctor, but I have to imagine from 80 to 86, there's a lot of things that can go, you know, deterioration in a in a person's brain in that those ages further than than whatever may be an issue at this time. So it is concerning. I think it is a rightful comment and conversation to be had about president biden or anybody seeking to be to be president of the united states and i think we're trying to discuss in a responsible way we're not trying to be disrespectful of him or his service or what he's done for this country or anything like that i just think that when i look also on the republican side where donald trump is um and where biden is it's it's frustrating to me it's frustrating to me um that we're in this perspective Um, i mean and real quick before you move on i do want to say when you just listed out those numbers it is wild to me to think that we are actually having conversations about somebody that would be 30 years beyond where President Barack Obama was or 30 years. I mean, it it just seems so foreign to have a president in their 50s. I mean, that seems to be from 50s and 60s seems to be, you know, where I would expect a president to be. But it seems like we've been so far from that that um, it, it, it was a little shocking to me to hear that that's the ages of of some of those recent presidents. Yeah, I was when I was doing the prep, I was surprised by it too. I was surprised because you know I grew up, um, you know, and remember Reagan being Reagan being president, and I remember the the jokes on S. I remember the jokes on SNL about his age, and to think that he was you know a, a young seventy seven. When he left office, and here Biden will be 86 if he's elected, reelected, and serve, I think is significant. And I think as long as as long as people are discussing age in a responsible, respectful way, and we're not making we're not cracking jokes and being disrespectful, I think it's a fair discussion point. It's not. It's. I don't think it's completely off the table to be talking about someone in 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 their you know in their 80s serving as chief executive of the United States of America. I don't think that's a disrespectful conversation to have. I think it, it's fair to have that conversation and and the rigors of the campaign are going to have to be something that, that Biden is going to have to show that he can do, which is interesting because recent polling shows that he's up over Donald Trump, who is likely going to be his nominee. And what I think it goes to is the fact that something that I've said before, which is elections are not held in vacuums and that it's about Choice A and choice B, um, I aside from people who believe in third parties, but the main choices are choice A and choice B. I do not believe that, I think that Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump. Um, I think that if there was a different Republican candidate and the dynamics were different, I think that there might be some different changes going on right now in um in the race, if it was going to be, for example, someone that we've talked about, Nikki Haley on stage, um, if that was going to be Nikki Haley versus Joe Biden, that contrast would be different. But ultimately, um, I think 
as elections are in contrast, I think that people dislike Donald Trump more than they dislike Joe Biden. And that's the that's the reality of the race. And so Biden gets to skate on some things because who his opposition is. If it was Nikki Haley or someone who was younger with a little bit more vigor and energy, I think that 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 contrast on stage would be different. Um, but the fact that he's running against Donald Trump, who has very high negatives, plus he's also near that age bracket, I think Biden gets away with it. Isn't it kind of sad when we have to discuss this in terms of not who we like and who we want to support, but who we like a little bit better than the other guy who we don't like at all? Yes. I mean, it's frust- it is frustrating because, again, I don't want the Republican nominee to be Donald Trump, um, but I think it's going to be. I would think it would I think it'd be great for our country if Joe Biden respectfully exited the stage and there was a there the torch was passed to a different generation a younger generation who could lead this country. I think that would be good. Doesn't mean I I wish any will any will any no. will, will on him nor do I think that he doesn't have the mental capacity or the physical capabilities to serve his office. I just know that someone who there's a difference between someone who's in their fifties and sixties, uh, and someone who's you know in there who by the time they leave office will be in their mid mid eighties, uh, past their mid eighties. And as someone who grew up in the eighties, the ladies and and remembers Reagan being president and got the jokes, I was quite quite surprised when I read the, when I did the math today and figured out that Reagan left office at seventy seven. You know, I do want to, before we move on from this, um, chat a little bit about Biden's announcement itself in the video. Um, first off, your thoughts on him doing a, a video and not a live announcement. Surprising thoughts? It's safe. It's comfortable. It's controlled. It's about managing risks. And I think that that's the dynamic of this race is going to be, is that that's the other thing. And I think we should talk about it more we should break it down more in, in, a, in a future episode, more as we get past the announcement and see more. But I think it's a safe, controlled way in which to do it. And or what did you think about – so the, the video itself, I will say, I liked the video. I thought it was – you know, it painted a good picture. It started out the doom and gloom January 6th, you know, um, used – a decent amount of Republicans lines, uh, you know, messaging that we like to use the freedom, personal responsibility, rights, freedoms, you know, lots of hits on those kind of things. And then it switched. um, And, and we got a change in music and it was optimist, optimistic, and it was hugs and high fives and all sorts of good Biden things. um, And, and ended with let's finish the job. Now, one of the articles I read, I, I didn't do this poll myself, but one of the articles I was reading about it talked about that line, let's finish the job, which he first started saying at the State of the Union address, which we previously discussed, is kind of the like soft launch, soft open here of, of his announcement for presidency. 12 times he used let's finish the job 12 times at the State of the Union address and that is how he finished his video. I mean, speechwriters do a good job here. Is his video team? They they had this planned out, eh? They did have it out. Um, you're so. Uh, are you surprised that it was uh, video announcement structured, scripted? No, scripted, I mean scripted, not scripture. Sorry, right? Scripted, not. Do you think it was? Are you surprised by that? No, I mean you can't get the guy in front of press. He doesn't do interviews. He doesn't do anything really off the cuff. Um, I. If I had anything to say on his team, you couldn't pay me a billion dollars to put him out and do a live announcement and all of the um, missteps and stumbles and whatever may come out of his mouth and just really rain on his own parade. So, no, it was safe. And, you know, as much as I wanted to... um, you know, criticize it. I was reminded that so he 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 announced this four years to the day of his last announcement, which was also done by video. So, I mean, I want to hate on it, but I, I get it. I do want to give a plug to Chairman Han. In our previous interview, he said three to four weeks out, and he was spot on. Uh, so that you know, tip of the cap to Chairman Han for for breaking that news um, and getting out there. The one thing I do want to try to hold ourselves to is. I think that this is going to be a frustrating time. 
I think a little bit for both you and I in a sense that we're not we're not wearing we're not wearing the hat for Biden. We're not wearing the hat for Trump. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a very difficult time to provide political commentary on the presidential race. And I think we're going to have to pace ourselves because we could be doing a podcast a year from now if if you're still around and I'm still around, or we could be having the same conversation a year from now. That it's, Absolutely. That it's, that it's Donald Trump and this is where we're at and this is what we're focused on. And it's going to be frustrating. And my yep. hope is that some some dynamic changes, um, but I don't. I just don't know if it's going to. I just don't know if that dynamic's going to change. And, and and I have to believe. I have to hope that it is, but I don't know that it. I don't know that it will. And I think um, right now, I think that Biden is able to succeed because his the candidate is Trump. And I don't think that the Republicans. I don't think that they have the ability to get rid of Donald Trump in a way to not make that the possibility. I agree. Uh, two last things I do want to hit on real quick. Um, when get your take one i was personally surprised by the number of appearances um of vice president kamala harris were were you i mean i i don't know that it's a it's a done deal that she's his, his running mate but she was in there i mean a good 6 7 8 you know times and that was surprising to me what do you think i was surprised by that too i think it cements the narrative that they're the team that they're running together i think that the um it also shows hopefully um, there's a level of energy and enthusiasm that she can bring in the ticket because mm-hmm. it's not going to come from the top. And so I think that there's that was a smart move on their part. It was very well scripted, very well designed. They're taking a low-risk strategy, which they can afford to do. They're in the driver's seat right now. Their opponent is Donald Trump, so they have the ability to do that type of, this type of stuff. Um, and my last comment, Trump responded with a four-and-a-half-minute video, which is longer than the president's uh, three-minute video. Um, in it, he hammers Biden's messaging and accomplishments, which I believe is warranted. And he once again talked about the 2020 election being rigged. I mean, it's just going to be a long couple of years here, folks. This is It's going to be a long cycle, and, it's, and, it, and we're going to have to really – we're going to have to commit ourselves to finding other subjects to talk about, which in the long run might be good because I think the presidential race is going to be very depressing. Yep. It's going to be very depressing. All on that right. note, on that note, let's break down and talk about something I'm sure you have an opinion on, which is Governor Walls's state of the state. Address. Well, you know, I feel as though you know, being that this is your guy, your friend, your hero, that I need to let you <laughs> kick us off and talk about um, all of the the wonderment that you felt watching the state of the state this week. Let me let me offer up this. Um, he's running. Yes. Um, he's running. Um, I thought it was a uh, gangbuster speech in terms of if you're a, in, in the sense of energy, enthusiasm. Um, it was an, it was an old fashioned barn burner on the, on the campaign trail type of speech. If you're looking for contrast between the, the president on the democratic side that just announced and Tim walls, you saw it in that speech. Um, he came, um, I, I, and all kidding aside, I've, as I said before, I don't, I don't believe he's running, running for president this cycle or, but I'm telling you that. Um, that speech was constructed to showcase who he was as a person. To me, that's, that speech was structured in a way to showcase the talents and abilities of Governor Walls from a rhetorical standpoint, from a presentation standpoint, but also to draw contrast. And I think it was, from that standpoint, it was a home run. If the point of the speech was to showcase that Governor Tim Walls can go toe-to-toe with the record of Ron DeSantis— that's a, they accomplished that. They accomplished that. Um, what I do think was a change in overall tone is that Walls has taken more of a one Minnesota approach. And if you looked at the response from the Republicans, they complained a lot about the partisanship of the speech, which I thought was, was I thought it was, I understood why they made the point, but it seemed like they phoned in a little bit of the response. Um, I thought that it, it, Walls's operation did a very good job of, in some ways, nationalizing that speech in a sense that the reaction to that speech 
it looked like a like a like a state of the union address in a sense that there were in, in terms of republicans sitting down democrats standing up in terms of that type of support it was very much i think a more politically professional speech um that doesn't mean in any way that it's diminishing from substance it doesn't mean that it diminishes in any way from the importance of the speech but it's very clear to me that that speech had that was not your average state of the state address. That speech had more of an agenda other than that. And I think that they accomplished it. Now I'm going to agree in part and disagree in part. I will agree in part that it was energetic. It was a barn buster. What'd you call it? Uh, barn, it, burner. it barn burner. It was like you said, a campaign trail speech. And that's where I will defend the Republicans who responded to this. It was a campaign trail speech. Traditionally, I feel the state of the state, state of the union is a little bit more cohesive, is a little bit more unity, is a little bit more kumbaya than this, which was very clearly them versus us. Now, I do think his speech writers did a great job writing when I'm looking at it from a comms standpoint, if I was working for Governor Walls. It's great. It touts his accomplishments while provides a stark contrast from Republican governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida. However, I mean, man, if I thought before, which I've said before, that I thought that this Governor Walls we are seeing, this progressive governor that we've been seeing this year in particular, um, to me was a little felt a little inauthentic. I thought it was a little bit of him being pushed by whether staff or his lieutenant governor or you know pro- the the radical liberals you know doing this. This makes me feel like I was wrong, and this is Governor Walls, and he is more progressive than I, I think he had the wool pulled over our eyes while he was in Congress. And um, I mean, I think that he. Really, one of the I, I want to share some of the lines for somebody who maybe didn't watch but is listening to this. That he really again weighing himself, his accomplishments against those other states. He said they're banning books in their schools, and we're banishing hunger from ours. They look at their most vulnerable people, and they see scapegoats. We look at our most vulnerable people and see neighbors. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you stop complaining about cor- corporations going woke and start giving a damn about real people and real lives. I mean, now if that's not a great phrase paragraph, there it is. But it it is definitely one that is saying us versus them and this side of the room versus that side of the room. I mean, it is it is more, from my perspective, more leaning towards the division of of the room and the troubles at the Capitol than a unity that I typically think that we do see in these types of speeches. Politics isn't a tickle competition. Serious business. And uh, I think that you're seeing an, an, an evolution of walls and and let's 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 remember i mean this is someone who's who was elected uh, in, in beat a, a republican incumbent in 2006 was elected in a republican district a district that was constantly i think in most elections was training towards the republican side in the presidential race but but governor uh, congressman walls was able to win in that district consistently he won um you know not ran against the DFL endorsed candidate in 2018 won the primary this is a this is a candidate and an elected official who has shown an ability to uh change and evolve um and still find a way to get elected and be a good candidate that people want to invest in and yes the speech was a change from the one Minnesota it was much more of a red versus blue speech, but there's nothing wrong with that. And, and I don't, I don't know that that necessarily he needs to stick to one Minnesota um, all the time. Uh, I think that, I think that you very uh, astutely picked out, I think probably one of the best lines of the speech that laid out the fight as they see in their, the governor's office sees in their head. And right now what's going on is in 50 states across the country, there's different political perspectives going on in terms of the leadership. And governors in red states are acting much different than governors in blue states. And what Walls' team successfully did is they nationalized the governor's race. They made people start to think of Governor Walls as at the same level of a Ron DeSantis. And as I've said on a previous show, there's absolutely no reason to think 
that he may not be running for for president right now, but based on his resume, there's absolutely no reason to think that he wouldn't be qualified to run and he wouldn't be a viable candidate should he choose to do it. I, I, I said on a previous show, I think it's more likely that he gets picked. In this cycle, we didn't know that whether we assumed Biden was going to run, but we thought it was a possibility he'd be picked. But Tim Walls is, if, if, if you're a Republican who says that Ron DeSantis is an attractive candidate running for office on, on, from a political perspective, there's no reason to think that Tim Walls isn't. And um, his, he's, he's won tough elections. He's won in tough political environments, and he's won in good political environments. The reality is, is that that state, that speech was Tim Walls entering the national stage. And I, I completely he, agree. And he entered with a bang, and he was successful in doing it. There are a lot of candidates and a lot of incumbents who try to do those types of speeches, and they don't deliver. But that speech was um, hit all the marks from the perspective of, I think, what their intention was to deliver. Let me also just say that the in, I think politics always has a role and has a play in stuff. One of the things that I think, one of the things you would never, ever hear me say or encourage someone to say is whether it's after a bridge collapse or after a mass tragedy or, at, unfortunately, after a school shooting or some other type of event, to say that politics doesn't have a role in the discussion in the aftermath. It's completely ridiculous. Politics is always a part of the conversation. It's always a part of the equation. It's the reason why some things can get solved and some things can't. So the fact that the governor made a more partisan speech doesn't doesn't isn't doesn't doesn't upset me, but I do think it also I think it's fair to discuss the transition from what he used to give and what he's given now and talk about that evolution. But I do believe, based on his track record, that he's going to be able to pull off that evolution. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Politics, the state of the state, is not a tickle tickle match. They, I understand tickle that. Contest. The phrase is tickle contest. Not a tickle. It's barn burner and tickle contest. I mean, I just can't keep up today. I agree. But I, I, I'm just saying I'm, I'm coming to the defense of our Republican leaders who were critical okay. of the tone of the messaging, of the fact that he was messaging for a national scale. I think that is something – I mean, we we harp on Republican you know, messaging and responses all the time. I think that while I would also like to see them as as a representative Engen has you know discusses here in this episode that we need to have a mission and our own vision of things going forward um I think that 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 can be should have been part of the speech a little bit maybe more of the response but I think it is important and is valid to be critical of Governor Walls for being more more progressive than he led voters to believe and also for maybe aiming for higher office when he is in his first year of his second term here as governor really that's all i'll say all right i think that's a good that's fair that's i mean that's fair criticism i can disagree with it but that's absolutely fair criticism you brought up something that the governor mentioned that we should going to talk about in our next subject which is poll shows Republicans say fighting woke ideology more important. Let's break this down. All right. So I believe this was Axios uh, led or had posted an article about the Wall Street Journal post or poll that says GOP voters say fighting woke ideology more important than stopping Social Security cuts. Now, I love me a catchy headline. The poll is a little less uh, a little less out there when you actually look at it. So breaking this down a little bit. Two questions about fighting wokeness. Um, this one where 55% did say that it is more important to fight woke ideology in schools and businesses than um, protect Social Security and Medicare from cuts. The other, only 24% said it was more important to fight woke ideology compared to 44% of those who said it was more important to secure the southern border and stop the flow of illegal immigrants. So let's just look at it on its face, though, this fighting wokeness. Is it fighting wokeness is more important in that? Or do these respondents just don't understand Social Security and Medicare cuts? It is, I think, a little bit, I examined the poll too, it is a little bit of a loaded question. But 
it's certainly the more interesting of the responses. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, do you want a salad or do you want apple pie? I mean, that's, that's the question I think. And, but I do think though, if we can piggyback on the previous subject, the introduction of it by walls in the governor walls into his state of the state of the state address, plus this poll, I think that this is what a lot of the fight is going to be a motivating force for Republicans. Go ahead. I also agree because um, also throwing back to our our previous topic in President Trump's 4.5 minute response to Biden's announcement, he had this line. You could take the five worst presidents in American history and put them together and they would not have done the damage Joe Biden has done to our nation in just a few short years, not even close. Citing among examples, inflation, recent bank collapses, and the rise of woke culture. So this is President Trump used the rise of woke culture under Joe Biden as one of the reasons that he should not be elected for another four years and Trump should come back. It's going to be a thing. It's it's certainly it is going to be. We we've saw, seen it with you know infiltration of our schools and um, some of the the curriculums that are being taught there. We have seen it. You know the the Budweiser. Um, debacle that's going on right now um woke you know quote unquote woke uh you know wokeness infiltrating all aspects of our life is something that i do think that there's a lot of frustration with maybe not even from the right i think i think there is some frustration across the board i think the right in particular do you think that this is this do you think fighting wokeness is the path to win the majority no. Is it the path for Republicans in Minnesota? What's wh- where does where does woke where is this wokeness going to go? This this fight against this wokeness is I, it is again? It, I have to agree with with what we you know chatted with Representative Engen. We need to be for something. We need to stand for policies. We need to push our you know vision of different policies of how to get you know families ahead, how to get our children ahead, how to make this country better than it was 10 years ago, and fighting against this, you know, boogeyman, boogie monster, <laughs> uh, boogeyman here of, of woke ideology, I just don't think is going to be what gets us over the finish line. Yeah, I just think that this is another example of Republicans. I think that this poll is um, I was talking with someone about the poll prior to the show because I was going to discuss it. And it's very much, I don't dispute the accuracy of the poll. I'm frustrated by the results. And I conveyed it to the point that I'd said, I'm frustrated right now that Donald Trump is, by all accounts, is leading the race for the Republican nomination. And he's likely going to be the nominee. That's the reality of the race. And I'm frustrated by that. But I think that, um, and this is just another example where I think that it's frustrating for me uh, that the fight against woke culture is what's motivating primary voters on Republican primary voters, because I don't know if that's, what's going to, when we're focusing on that and then we have to pivot to a general election, I don't know if that's, we're putting our Republican candidates in a position to to be successful again. And that's uh, where I'm frustrated with, because as you and I've talked about before, it's this primary contest season or endorsement season in Minnesota where Republicans stray and then they're not ready to position themselves in the general election. And this woke, and this seems to be, in my opinion, another example of that, where we're getting our activists revved up for this big fight against woke culture, which I don't know if you stopped 10 out of 10 people on the street, one of them would be able to define it. But that's the fight we're gearing towards. And I and you and I, I think both just are, are of the opinion it's not a path to win back the majority, at least in Minnesota. And I don't know that it's a long-term good electoral strategy nationwide. No, but I do think it will be the new fake news for President Trump. So I don't think it will be our last conversation on the matter. Um, but before we move on from the poll, I do want to uh, draw a little quick attention to one of my favorite parts that I found. Um, when So this was Republican primary voters polled in this portion um, that uh, they went through a list of traits and discussed um it, you know, which person, President Trump or Joe Biden, you think um, would rank higher on this. So a couple that just make me show or feel how strongly Republicans feel about uh, President Trump um, when asked about 
Who do you think that the trait better describes, Joe Biden or President Trump? Um, among Republican primary voters, Donald Trump. Um, when it comes to caring about people like you, Donald Trump, 83%. They believe that Donald Trump cares about people like you, 83%. Only 7% believe that Joe Biden cares about people like you. And um, uh, effective in office, 86% say Donald Trump, 6% say um, Joe Biden, whereas across, if when talking about general election voters, it's split 44, 45. So, I mean, it just, this just goes to show when you, I mean, the Republican primary voters largely have drunk the Kool-Aid, they're on the Trump train. And as we keep talking about, this is, we're going to be talking about this guy for quite a while. If Donald Trump's motorcade ran me over, I don't think he would stop to check how I was. <laughs> And I don't think it's personal, but I just don't, I have the totally opposite view of this. Um, if you would, I think that would be a great thing to post. You got um, it. And share on social media, because I think that's uh, probably the most depressing thing that uh, you've said since we've uh, started doing this podcast. And I want, and misery loves company. So I want others to share the misery. Speaking of misery. Oh, no. Speaking of misery, here we go. You ready for this? I hope so. We have uh, decided to start a new segment of this show. We're going to do it on a pretty regular basis, hopefully every week, um, um, or it might not last. This might be the only week if it goes really bad. Um, but based piggybacking off our ham and turkey debate, if you don't remember that, um, uh, on the the Easter episode weekend, uh, we had a conversation about ham versus turkey and, and um, following that, and I made a, a truthful statement, a very truthful statement that ham is overrated that it's not a main dish, um, and that it's good backup. And you chimed in. I thought someone hacked your account at first, uh, but you chimed in and said that ham was delicious, uh, and then you even more recklessly started ripping on turkey, an innocent yeah. bystander in this fight. And that led to quite a, a heated de online debate and on our show, and we decided to start a new segment called Food Fight with Broad Corbin Becky. And so here's what we've done. We have agreed that this is not scripted our answers. I don't know. I don't know how bad her answers are going to be. Oh. I know they're going to be bad, uh, but we've agreed to discuss. Uh, we're going to start with, and we're going to come each, when we do these segments, we're going to come in and talk and we're each going to come in with, I think five to 10 things. We're going to start with five today each, get a sense. And then we're going to break down some food takes that have this kind of being an ongoing discussion. We'll publish, we'll publish the takes on, uh, on our, on our Twitter platform. Uh, on Twitter, social media, and uh, we'll let people vote and get engaged on this stuff. This and if you have any topics you want us to discuss, let us know. Uh, we this have not. We have not coordinated, discussed. I have no idea Michael's takes. He has no idea of mine. And the takes. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, what the take is this week? We are doing salty snacks. Okay, so five salty snacks. Right. So are we going uh, one and one, or are we doing how are we doing this? Um, what's easiest? I think we should uh, do one-on-one. -on -one. All right. One -on -one. Okay. Why don't you go first? I want to, I want to just get it out of the way. So this yeah. is, let's be clear. I just want to make sure this is your number one salty snack, like from a bag. This isn't something homemade. You're going through a grocery store. You're pulling something off the shelf. You're at home late at night. That's the, kind of the definition of a salty snack, right? Let's hear it. So. I'm a little boring here, but my number one go-to salty snack is plain old tortilla chips with salsa, baby. Just give me a bag. I could house a bag of tortilla chips with salsa all day, every day. What kind of chips? Well, I thought we weren't getting into specifics Okay, yet. so tortilla chips with I salsa. Ha I have specifics. I mean, I'm very particular. Okay, so, um, okay, that's fair. I'll give you my answer, which is I went with potato chips. And my everyday chips would be Lay's. Okay. Not getting into flavor or kind, but my favorite would be potato chips. Okay. All right. Next one. My number two, kettle chips. I like the crunch. I like the ones that are folded over and extra crunchy. I Those are my jam. And for the record, I very often would give up chips for Lent. It was very difficult. This is how much I am dedicated to my salty snacks. Okay. 
I go. I'm going with Cheetos number two. Ooh, Cheetos number two. Well, can I ask a follow up? Go ahead. Crunchy or puff? Uh, just uh, yeah, continental style, straight. Just regular potato, re- regular Cheetos, straight kind, no puffs. Okay. Straight Cheetos and Cheeto brand Cheetos, and also not that flaming hot stuff. Okay, these are regular, all American, orange, sticky fingers Cheetos. That's it. Not not anything flaming hot. Nothing. Okay, that's my number two. All you. Right. My number three, um, I'm going popcorn. Now, I'm going with the pre-portion bags because I have zero self-control. So that is what I buy in bulk from the the big bulk stores and get the bags so I can have my small portion. I am super into the popping my own lately, because but those are trouble because the amount of – if I can control how much butter I can put on there, I mean, we're, that's troublesome. So plain old popcorn. Plain old popcorn. Uh, my next is going to be a bit controversial. Uh, Planter's cheese balls, number three. Mm, like the big tub. Yeah, big. No, the can. The planters, oh. the can. The can, yes. The planters can is is number. That's my. I like those. Now, the reason why it ranks a little bit higher than Cheetos is because I have found that the that the re, that the new version of Planter's cheese balls. There's just not the same consistency that there used to be, and so sometimes you're pulling a can out, it's not as good. So, but I do like them. But I, they they fall behind Cheetos because I think Cheetos are just more consistent. Are you showing your age here? Back in my day, yes, absolutely. <laughs> am. Let's hear your terrible number four. My number four. Now it's a, it's a variety pack here. The a bag of munchies. You got your Sun Chips. You got your Doritos. You got your Cheetos. You got your pretzels in that one little bag of cheesy goodness. What? What's a munchies? Come on, man! You have not had a bag of munchies. They said oh, is that like the tra- is that like is that like the yeah. Chex Mix that got Cheetos in it? It's yeah, it's like you yeah, know, yeah. like instead of like Chex Mix, it's like a bag of. What's your entire list? It's got everything in it. All right, uh, mine is Funyuns. Ooh, underrated. Very yes, Funyuns. And your fifth terrible pick. Um, my fifth. Now I have a five, and I have a five A. I I knew you would find a way to complicate this very simple task. Go ahead. Let's hear five and five A. Five my five are mixed nuts because they're great. However, they're expensive. And you know, again, I have no willpower. So a $17 bin of mixed nuts is is just a little ridiculous. So my five A is trail mix because you also get the chocolate in there. You gotta pick no. That's okay. I'm sorry. You have to pick one. You can't have both. So it's either mixed nuts or trail mix. You got to pick one of them. They're All too right. different. They're too different. I'll, I'll go with mixed nuts. Okay, mixed nuts. And what's in a mix? What's in a mixed nuts mix in your head? So I mean, it's got to have cashews and almonds. Usually, I like the ones that say like less than fifty percent peanuts, right? Because otherwise, yeah. they just like do too much peanuts. I don't like the hazelnuts. Those always let are left. Okay. Uh, my final is Old Dutch buttered spindle pretzels. Oh, the, the, the pretzel rods. Yep, pretzel rods. The the little buttered ones. I'm not. I'm not huge into pretzels, man. I mean, talk about like turkey. They are just dry. Okay, so go through your list in summary very quickly. All your right, five we got, not five A, just five. We got one to five: tortilla chips, kettle chips, popcorn, munchies, mixed nuts. The popcorn is just standard popcorn with just butter. No, I'm talking about like the pre-portioned bags. Like they they control. They're delicious. Yeah, so it's pop, but it's not like it's not like uh, caramel popcorn or it, that's okay. My list is potato chips, everyday chips, Lay's, Cheetos, Planters cheese balls, Funyuns, Old Dutch butter. That's that's my top five. So what we'll do is we'll post the we'll post our lists. We'll let people vote on the lists and see who. If I'm who, right once again. If you're right once again, what's interesting is and. You didn't. The only one that was on either list, in some ways, was the potato chips. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but you had, I think, in this 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 UN mix that you have, that's got basically every country in there. There are apparently some Cheetos in that, right? Okay, that's good. That was fun. Um, what should what should be our for next week? I mean, I feel like we got to do something sweet, right? Do we do like a bakery item or like candy? Candy bars. Candy bars. Candy bars. Five candy bars. All right. And five, not five A. All right, or all right. Five candy bars. Got it. 
it's your it's your it's the last gas station in the world. You can pick five candy bars. Cool. You get all right. That's what we're gonna do. All right. Sounds good. Do do things like um that are in the candy bar aisle, like Skittles and Starburst. Do those count as candy. candy bars? Yes, confectioner. Yeah. So candies. I what I would define as something that you yeah candy in that aisle. Yes, in that aisle, and that can be that. But it's five because my goal here is if we get out, if we get our like kind of our favorite ones, then we can do subcategories. Then we can do chocolate candy. Then we can yeah. do fruit based candy. But we just gotta kind of get our listeners a, an idea of what's on our kind of list here. Okay. Sounds great. Your favorite episode, your favorite section, the tweet of the week. Um, so this week I am giving a shout out to Comfortably Smug, who, if you're not familiar, great follow um, on on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted, it's kind of bonkers that Biden can just release a video to launch, launch his presidential run. Like there are kids running for class president who put together bigger announcements. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. That's an interesting take. Um, I'm going with uh, Randball Stew at Randball Stew, which was a retweet. I don't normally, it's not always the retweets that get it, but this guy did. Randball Stew did a retweet of a Minnesota reformer story uh, about um, an incident involving a state senator who had some teachers come in. And the quote that got retweeted from the Minnesota reformer was, uh, the teachers came to ask for more funding. Then it got weird with talk of oral sex and a lot of shouting. That's about this dust up that happened at the Capitol. And Rand Paul Stu retweeted it and said, Minnesota voters, be normal. M and GOP, this is what you're up to. And I think the reason why I picked it is because it goes to our larger messaging point. It reinforces our narrative. And if there's anything I want to do is only reinforce our narratives, not what other people are talking about. Hey, and I, I thought like it was good, good that way. And I thought yours did the same thing too. Well, another week. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broad Corbin Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on a platform or any platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod. We're also on Twitter at, at bbbreakpod.com. I want to thank you so much for joining us again this week. And Becky, thank you for showing up. You know, I am here. I won't forget to say goodbye today. I'm on top of my game. All right. See you next week. Bye.